Welcome to the Raise Podcast. I'm Carol Barwick. We're here to raise your confidence and inspire your creativity. Each episode, we will have a different guest who will be discussing our Raise Word. The Raise Word is a word that will encourage you or empower you and at times inspire you to explore the word a little more for yourself. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to The Raise Podcast. Not just uh, to an episode of The Raise Podcast, but the Christmas episode of The Raise Podcast. And I'm very excited about my guest today. Now, I've been very excited about introducing him in this way, so here goes. Some say that he has been involved in writing some of the greatest UK sitcoms of all time. All we know is he's called Paul Carenza. I see what you did there. I see what you did. I, I thought I know that. I know that particular vocab. I know that language. I know that <laughs> way of speaking. That will be the stig and the Top Gear kind of thing, wouldn't it? It will. So for those um, who have not come across you in person, Paul, you have been involved in writing for Top Gear, for Miranda, Not Going Out, Indeed. Dead Ringers. A bit of that. Yep. Amazing. Yep. Amazing. And we're going to get into all of that in due course but before we do anything else we're going to introduce our raised word which is tradition and what I'd like to know Paul is what does the word tradition mean to you? What does it mean to me? I suppose tradition to me is generally speaking seen as a good thing uh, quite right to building each year on the good stuff keeping the good getting rid of the bad and keeping what we like I suppose and realizing that actually uh, there's a, a benefit to a sense of ritual to it as well, I suppose. Annual ritual, uh, the fact that we have certain uh, festivals, festivities that we just like doing, but often it's about doing these things together. There's a certain sense of togetherness. And uh, after the last two years of, of COVID and lockdowns and things, some of those traditions have been disrupted. And then you come back and you sort of, again, you keep the good stuff you bring bring forward onward uh, from here the things that have worked for generations or indeed you start new ones maybe as well. So there's a sense of cl clinging to what we think is helpful, I suppose, and trying to get it right next time. Love that. Love that. Yeah. I've not really thought about it that way before, but you're right. And particularly in the in the lockdown, you're right that we were either clinging to traditions for dear life mm. or you're right, we were having to create new ones the mm. doorstep visits and those yeah. kind of things things that we wouldn't normally choose as a tradition mm. but maybe other traditions have have come out of it um what what are your kind of traditions at christmas paul what do you like doing well i i always think that I'm, i've been fascinated with with christmas for for years now and uh i think one of the things i love about it and yet also maybe sometimes loathe about it is just how many traditions there are to do with it and yeah. you I think in a way you can't do them all you have to pick and choose and I think a lot of that Christmas anxiety we get is from thinking oh but, but I must do everything it's such a busy time I've got to do the, the Christmas shopping and the turkey and the panto and then the Christmas lights and the kids like to do this and my in-laws like to do that and so on and you can't please all the people all the time but you've got to work together as a family I think or, or friends or whoever you are and go right what matters to us and so certain things 
things that almost go without saying you know we have the 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 roast turkey dinner the we have um uh crackers although i've never been that bothered about crackers it's one of those things that i'm happy to let go Controver- this is not a controversial podcast yeah, well, we're gonna be having lots and lots of fights over this I, i'm instantly it's funny you say what traditions do you have i'm instantly thinking the ones that i don't really mind about which are like christmas cards i'm terrible with christmas cards we, we've you know I, I people send them still and I'm I'm guilty of doing the email to all saying instead of Christmas cards, we thought we'd do a donation to a charity and rather more swiftly uh, wish you all well from here. But it's one of those we'll, that yeah, we'll go back to that in a minute. It's persistent, <laughs> isn't it? But no, I, but generally to answer your question and not the, not a completely different question, uh, we I do like to. I'm busy before Christmas. I do lots of comedy shows uh, before Christmas. So, but a trip to the Panto, normally a new year for us. So I think a lot of people try and do it before Christmas. We're the ones who who go when it's a bit quieter in like yeah. January the 3rd or something when they're going, please, we're still here. Come on out. Yes, And yeah. that's when I like to do a bit of that. But also last few years, we we drive around, look at the uh, the Christmas lights and the houses with the kids, normally on Christmas Eve. But that's changed. You know, go back 10, 15 years, Christmas Eve was always for me a pub visit with my friends yeah. and they still go. And now I'm driving around with the kids looking at lights. So, uh, you know, things change, don't they? Yeah. And do you score the Christmas lights? We, when we walk, we walk around and we score the Christmas lights yeah. and then we put a little card through if we think they've done particularly well. Oh, that's a nice, we might do that. This, this is how traditions not only evolve, but they spread, like they go viral, don't they? You see? Yes. So now I'm thinking that's a nice idea. That's a nice, nice plan. I like that one. Yeah. And then not such a nice idea, as I was saying, going back to cards, I actually ended up writing a poem once called A Cynical Carol, which was just about how I just don't get cards, really. I just don't I don't Mm. understand them. And as a writer like yourself, you would think that cards would be the thing you really love doing. But I just don't get it because it just feels like you're writing. Dear this person that I see all the time, have a lovely Christmas, even though I'm going to see you love from me. Absolutely. I know. I know. It's, it, it is. I think it's one of those things that um, I can see why they started. Uh, it's 1843, the first Christmas card. Uh, and then they persist. But they kind of when they got a bit too crazy commercial. I mean, we've got one friend of ours who I shall not name just in case, yes. but who prides herself, family friend, prides herself on being the first every year to send out Christmas cards. And it's sometimes she can't wait to December the 1st. Sometimes it's November 30th and they're out in the post. And she'll phone you up and go, did, did mine arrive first? Was mine the first on your mantelpiece? <laughs> and it's all very well. But then you open the card and most years she's not even written to whoever. It's just got at the bottom almost stamped, you know, the name of the person who sent it. Okay. And therefore it's not a person personalised Christmas card. It's not to us it's to every, all of my friends as quickly as possible, as many of them as possible, to put a flag in the ground. And and in fairness to her, that's what she wants to do, and I salute that. But in terms of asking, you know, me to do the same, I'm that's that's unlikely. Interesting, because I was going to expand on what I said about um, giving out awards for Christmas lights, and I was thinking you could have awards for your friends, you know, the quickest Christmas card and mm. Christmas lights, and you could yep. make a whole a whole thing of it and really alienate everybody in one go. <laughs> That's true, the, exactly, yeah. The, the spirit of Christmas. <laughs> Absolutely, <lives. laughs> absolutely. Well, one, one thing we do do actually is we we take it, my wife started this, she'd always done this tradition, so when we got married, I've sort of taken this on, but we when the cards come down on, well, we I don't know if we make it to January the 6th, but whenever the cards come down, we don't they don't all go in the bin. What we do is firstly, we appreciate them. Yeah. And then secondly, we are there as a family with scissors 
and we cut the the cards that were, which have covers on which don't have writing on the back so if someone's not scribbled on the back of the of the front cover yeah that becomes next year's present labels so the that's cards so good. yeah they have a life thereafter that's so good that i like that tradition mm. um one of the things we do with presents is um we always pray for the people that have given us the presents so we i try and take a long time my mum kind of started that and uh, it's that thoughtfulness and as you said kind of bringing the tradition like making it i don't know longevity yeah. of a tradition which is a big thing for tradition isn't it well i think so and i think the traditions that we particularly flock to that i that, well, that i that we as a family do anyway or that i think particularly nice are those that have some sort of positive onward effect you know like gathering so um you know just as we go to panto i know you know we have a carol service we go to i do these shows called comedians in carols which i've just sort of taken for granted last few years but i've had one or two people come up to me last year and say oh this is our tradition we come because i sometimes go back to the same church 10 years in a row and yeah. it turns out now we have families who've grown up through that tradition and just as i go to the panto with my kids in january their thing is the week before christmas they always come to this comedy and carol show that i do oh. and that's really lovely that to be part of that person's tradition i mean it's gathering it's fun it's joyous um but like one tradition for example that we haven't done is the rather recent elf on the shelf and you know it's one of those things that looks a time consuming b a bit messy see a bit just i don't know over commercialized and i couldn't quite latch on to the sense of of joy and fun but as a result some of my daughters my, my kids aren't too bothered about it but some of their classmates go oh did you how's your, what's your elf done last night whatever and we go we, we don't really do that and the friends are, what hum, humbug you know how dare well, they, they, i don't know they sort of quite say you humbug poor but, thing so. you put oh exactly goodness, like we're depriving parents. them by not doing the elf but you can't do everything you've got to pick your favorites haven't you yeah in terms yeah, of yeah. so um we had an angel, but actually what the angel did was she um, she arrived every day and she would tell my son what he was going to do during the day, whether it meant he was actually doing quite boring things like practicing for a script or wrapping some presents or writing Christmas cards. But every day she would appear, she would often um, bring him something as well. And he had an advent calendar too, but that worked for us really well. So there wasn't mm. naughtiness and it was actually a That's way of nice. helping me and my, my husband as parents to mm. remember everything <laughs> yeah well that's not i mean you can that's the night you can you can tweak i like yeah. the little the little tweaks people do to traditions as well and just go oh this is our little our little yeah. thing so I, my kids like to do christmas countdowns they make their own so they're like advent calendars in a way i suppose but they just design a thing knock it off each day oh, I love um that. we have little an advent candle which we've always liked lighting and it's just you know light in the, I mean, light in the darkness that is a massive christmas tradition and actually beyond just Christmas, you know, um, winter tradition, you know, I, I, one of my, um, my interfaith heart was full of joy when my daughter, when she was seven in the playground chatting with her, uh, school friend who's Hindu and they're talking about Diwali celebrations. And my mm. daughter was going, what's Diwali then? And the friend was going, oh, it's about light in the darkness in winter and cold winter months. And my daughter's going, oh, we do the same. We have light candles at Christmas and we have Christmas lights up. And you could see them both going, oh, great. Look at these commonalities that our two faiths have. And I was going, oh, my, the yes. fact it was like an RE lesson spreading it into the playground, you know, yeah. but, um, but certainly that Christian message of Christ, light of the world. Um, and that, I love the fact it's changed over the years. He's gone from fires in fireplaces to uh, candles to lights on a tree, Christmas lights in the town square. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of what you need to get through these rather dark 
Christmas winter months, isn't it? Yeah. And actually what, what I hear you saying there as well is, well, you said at the beginning, tradition brings people together, but like your sister and her friend, sister, daughter, mm, excuse me, one, and her one. friend, <laughs> um, it, it brought them together into very, mm. very different ways, two very different traditions and festivals. But as you said, this, this commonality, which is mm. so important. So I thought we'd have a game of, um, well, it's not would you rather, but it's kind of would you rather. So what I want to know is, do you prefer the Christmas number one that we used to have or the Christmas adverts that now come out? Okay. Well, I sp- it's interesting. You said Christmas number one that we used to have because we sort of don't have it as much anymore, really. do we? I mean, it, it no. exists as a thing. I suppose something's number one, but it's not quite the I same. I think it, is it might be football based this year as well. Oh, is it? Oh, I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I'll switch right off. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to say adverts then, I think, because the Christmas number one, generally speaking, was always a fairly crushing disappointment and they've always been i was looking back at this a few years ago uh there's not much to do with christmas traditions i've not at some point delved into and fallen down those rabbit holes but they it's a fairly recent thing because the christmas you know you've got okay you've got the the 1940s all those christmas crooners like your dean martins and nat king coles but that was never really about a christmas christmas number one thing Mm. and then in the 60s even most Christmas number ones happened to be the Beatles and it wasn't a Christmas themed song. It's just, they happened to be number one. Okay. And then it's the 1970s really, when you got your Slade versus wizard and, um, and then on and then the eighties, I think the golden era surely for Christmas pop music yeah, uh, from your, your whams and your band-aids and Chris Rears and everything. Yeah. So that was then. Um, but ever since then, really uh, it's, it's been a bit, you know, there was the X factor era, Yes. Of the Christmas number one and all those things. I'm not so sure. Whereas a good Christmas advert, you know, they th- plan it all year. Yeah. And I think probably the John Lewis ad has got a lot to answer for for the last few years. But they, they you know, the, the, the Sainsbury's one a few years ago, they had the win- the Christmas truce in the trenches. Yeah, amazing. And it was beautifully done. Yes. Really, really. I mean, that really uh, portrayed the Christmas truce. I've, I've seen countless versions of that on screen in films. Yeah. And they nailed it in 90 seconds, I thought, was just just quite beautifully done. So, yeah, I think you can maybe get a, a slightly better story, maybe if you have a that, that visual storytelling. Sometimes yeah. they just want to flog, you know, cheap turkeys. No. But, Consumerism uh, at know, Christmas? Never. never, never. Not here. Never. Uh, no. <laughs> some can be nice. Some adverts can be. If you do it, if done right, you know, yeah. then. Uh, um, my choir have a, a tradition. Um, in fact, it, it's my tradition really which is that we always mash up the john lewis advert with a christmas carol so we've done that for the last five or six years so um we're we're enjoying doing a a mashup of the all the small things at the moment um and uh yeah it's a it's a good little tradition sometimes it works really Mm. well sometimes not so well i think this one is quite a good one um but uh again going back to the that little filmic bit that the, the Sainsbury's did and all other supermarkets mm, are available. Of course, of course. Um, we, uh, it was bringing it to a whole host of people that otherwise wouldn't have seen it because it was mm. child friendly. And that's often what happens with the Christmas adverts, isn't it? They're, they're suitable for all. So suddenly everything mm. becomes accessible and then the questions start coming, you know, and um, you think about things in a different way. Um, and certainly, as you said, John Lewis, you know, with regards to fostering and the importance of really looking out for um, the lonely and the needy at this time of year. Mm. Again, I think it's really nailed it. 
Yeah, I well, in fact, do you know what? I've I've actually not seen yet any of this year's Christmas ads. Um, oh. We will be sitting down as a family and watching binge watching all of them. Oh wow! Uh, Is that uh, a new tradition? Something. Well, <laughs> we, we we thought we might start it just because we've not managed to find time to watch it. The Christmas adverts. <laughs> the, exactly, you know, and it, you can get to them quite quick. Probably about ten minutes, you do the lot. But yeah. um, but no, I think it's, it's I've been I've been actually lecturing lately and screenwriting uh, particularly about adaptations uh, okay. at, at Winchester University and so many of those uh, when you're trying to work out how to adapt a story into into some sort of screen written thing it's those same motifs of of hope and optimism and looking forward and life lessons we can learn and you know stories as survival techniques and um oral traditions of handing down these tales down campfires over the generations and now our way of doing it is visually on screen you know so the way that a good christmas advert if done right can tell a nice little story of benevolence and uh goodness and you know it, it's the the ones that do that and do it right uh, I think are just beautiful. I hope this episode with Paul has got you feeling really Christmassy. Uh, Christmas is a good time of year to um, make sure that you're in a community and you're feeling supported. So do find us at Raise, Raising Confidence, Inspiring Creativity Community over on Facebook and come and join in the fun. Please also leave us a five-star rating. We like Christmas presents too. Uh, you can do that on any of the platforms you listen to. Back to the episode. So, Paul, I feel like I've planned out your Christmas for you now. We've got a top 10 uh, Christmas adverts. You're going to go and uh, rate the Christmas lights. You're going to tell the person yep. that did the Christmas card really quickly, give them an award. Um, we've got all that sorted out. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> tell me a little bit, because I know that um, I'm very excited about this because um, every every year at Christmas, my husband particularly, um, starts saying hark quite a lot. Hark, right. the oven is on. Hark, the cat mm. needs to go out. Yes. And you have a book called yes Hark. called hark yeah um so tell us about hark it's a, it's all about christmas traditions and tell it us is about that yeah so i i wrote it probably i don't know five six years ago something like that yeah. and it was the uh yeah the culmination of years of being fascinated by christmas yeah. and and why we do what we do at christmas really so i was trying to do a history book but also one that is sort of fun but isn't just light trivia i wanted to actually the more i dug into it the more i wanted to go okay there is a reason that we do everything we do at christmas and it's probably a fairly chronological reason so rather than leap around the timeline too much i've just i picked the sort of the 12 dates of christmas so to speak rather tenuously nice. but yeah. the dates that i think christmas specific moments in history where christmas changed in some way because of someone's decision and normally it's just uh what I found fascinating as well was it's it's often creative, often Christian creative individuals, and it's not some giant plan from a uh, an organisation or a government necessarily, but it's those little moments, just little things like Dickens, you know, his first uh, eight Christmases were white Christmases, and it just happened to be that he was born at the end of the mini ice age. I think when he was two or three, it was the last time the Thames froze. You could have those frost fairs on frost frost. Can I say it? Frost fairs on the Thames. Yeah. And so when he writes about a Christmas in a Christmas Carol, he makes it snow because at the end, you know, especially at the end, and and make it feel like an old Christmas because he wanted his readers 
to think, oh yeah, this is how Christmas should was when I grew up, and it's how yeah. it should be, you know. Yeah. And because of that, we think of a white Christmas, even though there's hardly any white Christmases at all for the last mm-hmm. hundred years. So all those little just little moments of decisions can just spark you off in a new direction. And not only that, of course, but Christmas Carol has in it everything from um, a morality lesson to, again, that sense of it's good to gather. You know, it's the one who's out on his own being a Scrooge and humbug, glimpsing through other people's houses and go, oh, that's how they celebrate. That's how I should and maybe could celebrate. But also it's not the size of your turkey. It's about, you know, the who you're with and how you do it. All of those things. Um, mulled wine is in there as well. One of the first mentions of of those sorts of things. So, and one of the first mentions of Merry Christmas is in A Christmas Carol as well. So, loads of stuff in there. And there's people also, you know, another guy like um, Francis of Assisi. Go back six hundred years earlier, and he gives us the first Christmas songs that aren't in Latin, really. The first songs in local languages. He gives he put, puts on the first live nativity scene, really, with real animals and people portraying it. So people could then, and this matters not just as a commercial thing, but people could then visualise it. They come from the town down below up to the caves and see these monks portraying shepherds with actual animals and go, oh, I get it now. I get it. It's This is about a, a poor family in in my situation, you know, this mm-hmm. they they were suddenly realizing it wasn't just about being preached at in Latin on a Sunday, but but a living humanity to it. So moments like that, I was fascinated by, as well as you know, why does um, why, why do Japanese people eat KFC for Christmas? They just do. They just okay. they eat KFC for Christmas because um, years ago, American businessmen were there looking for a turkey, couldn't find one, went to KFC, and they started this tradition. And now it's huge in Japan. KFC, Kentucky for Christmas, every year, massive campaign. So, you know, there's light trivia buried in there as well as the, the bigger stories. So all those people that over the years, because they've struggled in one way or another and just thought, no, I'm not doing turkey, I'm not doing trivia, means this isn't what I need I'm going to KFC can now legitimately yeah. say that's having a Japanese Christmas exactly in fact that you can you pre-order your Christmas boxes there and wow. you go and it's true it's a massive thing and of course I think it helps as well that the uh the logo the uh of, of the, the person behind KFC is a man with a white beard you know it all all of that helps I think so symbolism nudge it in that direction so but so there are loads of um lovely little bits of 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 christmasy trivia i mean that well um the other what's the other but burrito the burrito has a christmasy link to it as well because okay. burrito is spanish for little donkey it is so there you are you know burrito burrito little donkey little donkey wow you i just have that. to have a minute yes yeah, take mind. that in <laughs> i i learned spanish so i should have known that ages ago but well but <laughs> Wow. The thing is, well, the go. thing is, though, "Little Donkey" isn't a song that would. It's not one of those carols that has travelled the world. Certain carols have, you know, "Heart the Herald" yes. and yeah. "Silent Night" and things like that. But "Little Donkey," I didn't realise how it's only about half a century old. It's a Geordie folk singer who was actually far prouder of his other animal-based songs, including "I've Got a Little Whippet," and uh, he he used to sing these little animal songs around folk clubs. And then he wrote "Little Donkey." And that song followed him round for years, like a donkey, I suppose. But uh, he got rather fed. <laughs> I think he got rather fed up of it and thought, "Why does no one listen to my funny other animal songs?" But no, sorry, 
Well, you've, was, you've got one. to have a kind of the catalyst song, haven't you? So if, you if people then listen to Little Donkey, and so here we are, we always have a challenge. If you want to go and find out, do we know the name of the guy that wrote Little Donkey? Uh, we do, we do. And I it should be at the tip of my fingers, shouldn't it? But it's, uh, it's <laughs> Eric. I don't think, I think you're it, expecting to I think it's, I'm, well, I'm going to challenge myself. I think it's Eric Boswell, and I'm now okay. going to find out as we Let's speak. Let's get him to Christmas number one. Come on, Eric Come on. Boswell for Christmas on. number one. Come on, we can do this. We can do <laughs> we this. We can do this. It is. It's Eric Boswell. There you go. There that you was go. Right. So there's. There go. We'll probably have a bit more of a serious Christmas challenge in a minute. But for now, <laughs> Eric Boswell for Christmas number one. What do you right. Paul? Can we do it? I think we can do it. I think this is trending it's, on. I think his song about his whippet. I think is 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 great. <laughs> it is. It's all about gambling on basically the um the the rank outsider. You know and. Right. Uh, you know, saying it's a bit this lame dog who's there at the back, but no one puts money on him and all that sort of thing. So it's about the, it's literally the underdog, I suppose, isn't it? But there well, you there you go. Wow. I am learning so much. It's not often that I don't have a lot to say on this podcast, <laughs> but that little donkey really knocked me the, for six. <laughs> the burrito, yeah. <laughs> um, I was listening to uh, something else that you were doing on a podcast and you were talking about the, um, the King's speech as it was when it started. Mm. And then obviously oh, yeah. the Queen's speech. Tell me a little bit about the origin of that, because that was interesting. Yeah, well, my, my my major project at the minute has been sort of chronicling the origins of broadcasting. I do this podcast, okay. the British Broadcasting Century podcast, is all about uh, the early BBC, how that began. And, uh, and yeah, 1932, you get the first King's speech, the first Royal Christmas message. Not the first in the world. Holland just beat us to it, okay. rather frustratingly. Um, we could have had it uh, that we were number one. Um, but because um, John Reith was trying to convince uh, King George for years to to do a Christmas message. But it goes to show what an important moment this was because the king kept turning it down, saying, no, it's not appropriate for the the monarch's voice to sort of enter the the houses of, of people in the country. We should, we should remain distant. We should remain um, as a rather... Dis- discreet and di- uh, distant and separate entity mm. and he had to really i think it was only actually when the bbc started its empire service which was you know the, the world service as it now is really when actually the the king was convinced and also it was the early 30s fascism on the rise you could see the mood you know the atmosphere in europe was not a, a happy one and i think there was a real sense of okay we do now need to use this technology to speak to people across the world give them hope and encouragement say your king is here for you and um and yeah but he really didn't want to do it to the point he was so nervous he was there in sandringham uh in the the royal house for christmas and they had a little studio under the stairs and on the table they put a little a sort of a beige carpet thing uh, telling the king this was for acoustics, but actually it was to stop his rather drumming fingers from making oh. a sound on the microphone. So he was incredibly nervous, bless him. But oh. there you are. Wow. So, um, and then obviously the, the Queen's speech has been a big tradition for so many. And we're no, now going to be going back to having a king's speech again. Mm-hmm. Be interesting to see the kind of thing that he says. And I wonder if he'll break tradition in some way and start something new um or carry on from from where his uh her majesty left off well indeed it's all it's all about as we said at the, at the start tradition and building on that and how it changes and uh you know obviously the queen has because of the longevity of her reign she has owned the royal christmas message yeah, yeah. in a way that no one else on the planet has really there's no one who's done as many as she has and she also saw that move to television uh, she was the first one to do it on on television. A lovely, you can watch it on YouTube. It's a lovely bit of footage of her first televised one. Just this young lady 
saying welcome to my home this is my home I'm, i thank you for welcoming me to yours and that a very immersive sense uh, she was became known as one take windsor because she was just so so good at doing it oh, and yeah. um uh, you know so i think you know charles of course will have his own way of doing it but i imagine he's going to build very heavily on the way that the queen has established it yeah because it is a tradition for so many people and there will be a great expectation and i think that's the thing around tradition and, and something that uh can sometimes be a bit more difficult because there's a lot of expectation around tradition isn't mm. there um i was speaking to the people in my raised community group about what tradition means and a lot of them were talking about it, its memories it's remembering mm. and um protecting those kind of memories but also being free to put your own spin on it and make it your own thing um, yeah absolutely and i think that's and tradition doesn't change quickly for that reason i think because yeah. you you want it to be built on the memories of the past so i think charles will will have to absolutely keep things largely the same but that's again the the royals have always successfully done that they know part of their raison d'etre is that we want to see a sense of of um of of a well a fairly catholic with a small c i suppose that way of uh, things have developed over the centuries but they are there's still that solid line really to how things were done in in the olden days and uh that's what the royals have been about that's why britain's rather got that reputation in the in the world i guess of being rather good old-fashioned blighty and that sort of thing yeah and and and, and certainly the british christmas as well it all ties in that the way that the early bbc helped spread the british christmas overseas and as a result you can see the places where there was a british empire in places like australia and canada and corners of the world that now have a fairly British style Christmas. And, you know, you see on the beaches of Bondi Beach in Sydney, even though it's summer over there, people are dressed as Father Christmas, because largely because it's the British Christmas that was essentially advertised to them. You know, they say the BBC doesn't do advertising. Well, it advertised, you know, the, the <laughs> British Christmas and a lot of our customs all across the world from the 1930s onwards, really. Yeah, it's interesting. I I have to admit, I thought Paddington might crop up in a Christmas advert this year, uh, yes. um, and I, I did wonder if um, if John Lewis were going to try and do that, but uh, mm. maybe I bet they asked. I bet they tried, I bet, but yeah. uh, I think Paddington, he's, he's, his fees have gone up now. You know, he's he's a difficult difficult bear to yeah. get hold of. I think five years ago you could have got him for a you know got him for a bargain, but marmalade uh, sandwich. Yeah. I would imagine absolutely that would have that would have done it. Whereas totally. whereas yeah. now, yeah, he's. Uh, I think he's probably got his own agent and uh, I think you're right. Yeah. Busy bear. Busy time he is. He is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um just going back to the idea of tradition and memories and how important it is um to kind of keep think these things going. How much do you think that factors in in terms of the depression that you can see around Christmas and the need to do the Christmas photo with the Christmas pajamas in front of the great big Christmas tree. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts around that? It is well, something we we struggle with a lot, certainly in our house as well. Is is when to say no at Christmas, really, yeah. and especially when new things come in and someone, you know, a new group of people says, "Oh, hey, wouldn't it be lovely if we all did this?" And oh, let's also do a secret Santa, and let's all wear funny antlers, and let's wear sparkly things, and let's do this, and. Uh, so sometimes you have to just go i'm I'm at capacity yeah. and i can't i can't do all that i'd love to but i've got a ring fence myself you know a little and um and we've certainly done a bit of that um because 
it's my busiest time of year occupationally as well yeah. uh, certainly at the minute when you know with the gigs the live entertainment scene the live comedy was has been slow to come back since covid we would you know busy enough I, I suppose but at the same time maybe half of the comedy clubs have come back as there as there were so in the course of the year it could be a bit slow therefore in december you've got all sorts of comedians and entertainers suddenly going right grab yeah. it all while you can because in january and february that's going to go quiet yeah, you know yeah. people aren't going out in january whereas at christmas they just do so i'm busy and the school keeps you know our, our, we're always getting new messages back from the school going oh well it's it's the carol service on the tuesday it's the christmas panto on the thursday we've got yeah. the fancy dress competition on the wednesday and it's bananas so at some point you have to just learn to say no to some things and try and do a few things well rather than lots of things in, in a manic rush yeah my son and I one year did I can't remember it, well it was the parents 12 days of Christmas and uh, we had all the different things I like ate make eight gifts for the teachers seven different costumes for the nativity five cards for your friends etc etc and uh, at the 13th day I had a large glass of wine because that was what I needed <laughs> on the, after the 12th day of Christmas <laughs> I, can, I can imagine I can imagine that's um, uh, a mold I'm sure uh, of course, yeah. But um, I do think it's so important because I'm seeing more and more at the moment on, on the socials about it's not about the pyjamas and the photos and how you mm. present. And let's face it, that's very much what social media is about, how you present mm. more about, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I'm about to say this. This is incredibly cheesy. Do it. The present. Yes, of course. But not the presence, not the yeah, presence, but the presence, whatever it, it might be. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah it totally. Is. Mm. Um, and really getting that message across, you know, and and very much saying to people as well, I need you to know I'm someone that loves secondhand presents. I love homemade mm. presents. So I said, you know, we always have a kind of a a challenge, a call call to action for um, you know our people listening. So just remember that this Christmas that it, mm. you are the person that's people want to see they want to know about you um they it you know it's at the end of the day when we were talking about cards and things like that it's just an exchange of money that's mm. what a present is it unless is, there's thought behind it or it's yeah. homemade or something it is just an exchange of money and expectation and it's okay to go to kfc this christmas and say to your family this year we're going to enjoy christmas as mm. simply as possible because then we'll enjoy it yeah, absolutely. And, and as you say, if it's an exchange of money, especially, you know, money that we haven't got at the minute necessarily, yes. yeah. then, I mean, one of one of our traditions as well, that my daughter's just started off her own free free will. Um, she's nine now. She's been doing this for three years. So let, let's say she started it when, when she was six, uh, is that in the month leading up to Christmas, a book vanishes from my bookshelf. I can never work out which one, but there's always a gap there. And I don't know what it is. And I'll unwrap it on Christmas day and she'll go, I saw it in the shop and it reminded me of you. And I go, this is my book from that shelf, isn't it? Yes, it is, daddy. Yes, it is. And, you know, and in a way, I think I'd just be happy with that, really. I don't think I need her to buy anything else, but it's always, you know, an additional that as something else. But actually that's part, it's part of the fun of it, you know, and, and yeah, homemade things, thinking outside the box a bit, you know, secondhand stuff why not absolutely i think it's 
certainly rather than an expensive thing that actually you get and go oh i've got one of these i didn't want it in the first place etc 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 but something that um you know you could print out a photo and put it in a frame or you can design a thing like that or you can um i mean an idea we i was thinking of for this yeah i may not do it but i, I saw online for 112 and no, 120 pounds i think it was it was a photo frame of a of a map or a picture of somewhere where someone was born. There you go. And you can print yeah. it out and go, look, it's a picture of a map where you were born. Yeah. And um, at the same time, I'd, I'm unaware of the copyright implications of this. I should add before I go suggesting things, but surely you can go onto maps. You can find a where someone was born. You can take a screenshot, take it to the printers, do it for a fiver, put it in a frame and a similar effect's done, you know, but um, although there are copyright implications, of course, but, um, but 120 pounds to get a frame picture of a map, you know, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, I don't think we need, need to go and spend those things when actually you can think outside the box a little bit and yeah. uh, do something, yeah, just something that you think they might like. Make a thing or or whatever it might be and just be there, just turning up. You know, that's yeah. that's a nice thing as well, isn't it? Um, yeah, and I think we forget that. And then what right. happens is we do all the, all the trimmings, literally, and mm. then we've got no energy for ourselves and certainly for myself. That's yeah. the whole long COVID thing for me and not having the energy. And mm. I have to just say, well, if you want me... I, I have to, I'm going to have to put other things aside, which is not easy. No, it's not yeah, easy totally. at all. No, totally. um, but it, it is really important and that people mm. know that they are important. And um, yeah, that it, Christmas is about more than, as we said, just ex- exchanging money and yeah, people want to see you very much. I, I, like, I like to make a quiz at Christmas and sometimes I'm tempted to go this Christmas Instead of presents, I've I've made you this quiz, mm. and uh, you know we'll have a bit of fun doing that, whatever it might be. Um, and yeah, it's there are different ways we can do these things, isn't it? I think we do need a bit of a. It will be every year we say we need a reset on Christmas. We need a a, a, a control alt delete. Yes, and uh, and instead we can't quite do that as a society. Um, but what we can do is just tweak our traditions a little bit and go with the stuff we like. And, yeah, and um, I wonder yeah. if. To a degree, we got that slightly with lockdown, didn't we? Just a little, a little. bit of time yeah. to reset and be with our families only mm. uh, and all the feelings that came with that. But um, I'm going mm. to do a horrendous segue now because yes. um, uh, you have got a book that's coming out um, and it's coming out next year, isn't it? And I was going to say that um, also, if you see presents that you want to get people and it's not right on Christmas day, that doesn't matter either because I I looked at the book and I thought, right, I know at least two people I'm going to buy that for, but just tell us a little bit um, about that book because it's not Christmas based, but it's around 20, isn't it? It's yeah. So it was meant to be, it was meant to be out now really for, for christmas and i yep. know one or two people who got in touch and said it better be out by christmas because it's on my list and it won't be uh <laughs> it's due to be out in mid-february but even then i'm still halfway through writing it but i'm having such a blast writing it that i'm sort of slightly taking my time a bit on it mm. and and it is a historical uh, historical fiction it is the the true origin story of how uh british broadcasting began so not just the bbc but the idea of radio really comes yeah. from this the idea of broadcasting and um and the more I've been delving into it, I did this podcast about it. The podcast came from research for the book, really, mm. because these real life characters, it's its set around these four characters. So the book's called Auntie and Uncles because BBC is auntie. Yeah. And the radio uncles were the very first presenters, the aunties and the uncles, in fact. Okay. And um, so, yeah, but the, these four, I was reading that statistic I read. In, in fact, it was when researching the book Hark, the biography of Christmas, looking to the first bbc christmas and i read 
that the first BBC Christmas, there were four employees at the BBC and 30,000 listeners. And I thought, who were those four? They, did they get along? <laughs> mm. No, they didn't. Not all the time. Yeah. And uh, and that sent me down a rabbit hole, really, just to look into who they were, why they didn't get along, the different ideas they had for what broadcasting could or should be. And uh, yeah, so a few years ago now, I set myself that sort of challenge of like, OK, let's 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 see just how much I can find out about this stuff. And in fact, as the BBC turned 100 I uh, I was invited on the new six o'clock news that day. In fact, the, the, it turned a hundred at six o'clock, wow. and uh, I was there in the studio. But even then, only that very day was I doing some more research on it and discovered that that first BBC broadcast, and it's not mentioned in the history books at all, but that very first BBC broadcast was essentially voluntary because there was Arthur Burroughs, who was the first voice, wasn't being paid for it. He was he just had this this joy of wanting to try this thing. It was only a month later that he got the job of uh, director of programs at the BBC. So I just thought, wow, this is a time where people were just trying stuff and seeing what happened. And so much of the of the things that we still have to this day just come out from those those moments. The first religious broadcasts come out that sort of same time. Just, just the very first religious broadcast is just a vicar wanting to give it a go and actually sets up on the altar a radio set and then doesn't tell his congregation, goes five miles away, and then they they turn up at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Vicar's not there. But on top of the altar, this wooden box and from it, his voice. And they'd never even heard of radio, let alone heard radio. Utterly baffled as to what happened that Sunday. But um Wow. What, so he just he just broadcast to them from it, a box. It, yeah, he just broadcast from uh, Blackheath in southeast London to, to Peckham, where they were, and uh, and he even had gra- gramophone records with the hymns on. So the, I think he, I think the very first broadcast hymn he did was "Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past." So now, please stand, and we shall sing "Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past." And they all sort of, I guess, stood and looked at each other and go, "What, what, what's happening now? What? Wow, where's this voice Talk coming about from? Break from tradition. My goodness, that must have been quite a service. Incredible, incredible. I'm thinking. I've just discovered the, the actual text of the sermon so i'm thinking of maybe doing a little little show next year somewhere on tour or just in one venue if i can find it to sort of recreate what that would have been like and and deliver the same sermon that they would have heard oh surely it should be like in shepherd's ago. bush or west london or somewhere somewhere near well i'd like to do it in in, in peckham evangelical oh, church yeah, oh, where, yeah, where yeah. it originally happened that would be wonderful if we've got any listeners that know that know ministers strings. in peckham yeah, get no, in touch with fun. paul yeah. um paul it's been absolutely brilliant and uh it would be interesting to have you on again sometime and talk more about the whole um broadcasting thing and, and that side of it Love as to. well um but as you said you are an incredibly busy person at this time of year so we really appreciate your time um we come to the time of the show where you get a little breather and I get to be slightly more nervous because I always write a poem for every guest that comes on Mm. now uh normally I do these um totally on the spot but there are times when I think I really don't want to get something horribly wrong (laughs) so uh, I did actually write it um last night um and it was interesting because uh when i when i wrote it i finished it off this morning and the the line was traditions are all these things to me and i thought well hang on a minute i can't say that because all these things that i'm listing are not my traditions and that's kind of the point of tradition isn't it so um i'm just going to leave you with this poem and then we'll we'll kind of wrap it up so okay 
Christmas adverts, the BBC, waiting for the speech at three, Japanese meal of KFC, tradition can all these things be. Burritos and little donkey, a moment steeped in history, stories told and memories, tradition can all these things be. Just short and sweet. Wow. And look <laughs> at that. Burritos and KFC. All I don't know when you got a chance to do that. That's can impressive. Can I tell work. you? Can I tell That's you? That's impressive. Uh, there was one line missing. My producer won't let me live it down if I don't admit. There was one <laughs> okay. line missing and I didn't know what to put in it. So burritos and little donkey fitted in. That's lovely. Wow. Impress so. Impressively swift work. <laughs> from, and, I, and I've not even, I, I, I can't, I'm not going to go with the whole, given you are Carol, a Christmas Carol we can't go there because you've had a lifetime of that. I nearly wore my t-shirt. I have a, I had a t-shirt made for me saying Christmas Carol because I bet. you have to, you have you to, do. don't you? You do. Um, Paul, it's been absolutely fantastic. Those people listening. Uh, yeah. Please remember Christmas is about you and the family and the people that you're with. If you don't have anyone to be with then do um, reach out to us um, and uh, let's make sure that everybody has a Christmas that they can remember and enjoy, whether it's all traditional, whether you rate your Christmas lights, uh, or whether it's you and the KFC and the King's Speech. No, oh, indeed. Yeah. Odd to think, isn't it? Odd yeah. to think. Um, Paul, we're going to put everything in the show notes about your books and um, the podcasts that you've been involved in and things like that. Um, and Good luck. Enjoy writing the rest of your book. And we'll Thank be looking you. out for Christmas versions of Miranda and Top Gear and oh, indeed. Out, all Who those knows. things. And uh, have a very Merry Christmas. And a Merry one. To, and, and God bless us, everyone, as oh. Tiny Tim observed. Wonderful. Thank you, Paul. Bye-bye. Thank you. Cheers.